With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, one, what are you reporting? Uh, I got a strange going on out here. Something just killed my dog. Something killed your dog? My dog went flying through the air over the tree. I don't know how it did it. Okay. Damn it, I'm really confused. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence, and he was dead when she hit the ground. I didn't see any cars. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence. This is Lestral. Yes, yes, I know. AKA Survivor Man. And you're listening to Brian from Sasquatch Odyssey. and welcome to this week's bonus episode of Sasquatch Odyssey. Thank you guys so much for being with us for the show. It is Sunday. I hope you guys have had a great week. We've got an amazing guest lined up for you, but as always, I want to start the show by inviting you. If you've had an encounter you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. You can get me at brian at sasquatchodyssey.net. Head over to our Patreon page. Check it out. You can become a member there and help support the show. As I said, we've got a great guest lined up. We've got Oliver here from New Zealand. He is a former British citizen. It seems to be the week of the Brits, right? <laughs> but he's coming to us from New Zealand, which is sort of fascinating in and of itself. It's so amazing to me that I'm able to do these interviews with people from literally around the world. When we did this interview just last night with Oliver, he's like 17 hours ahead of us. We had a great interview last night, and I stayed up and edited the show because I wanted to get it out to you guys because I think it was a pretty fascinating discussion that he and I had. He's had so many different experiences over the course of his lifetime. So there's a lot. We talk about UFOs. We talk about reincarnation. We talk about ghost stories. We talk about all kinds of things, possible alien contact, 
Lots of different stories, lots of cool things. Stick around to the very end. The show is really long. It's about an hour and 40 some odd minutes long. But even if you have to chop it up and listen at different times, make sure you listen to the end because some of the best stories, in my opinion, are on the end of the interview. So stick around for that. Real quick, if you haven't already done so, please rate and review the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I say it every week. Give us a five-star rating, leave us some sort of review. It goes a long way to help the show. We've had a couple of people sign up on Patreon to support the show. I really appreciate that. If you haven't checked it out, it's in the show notes. Click over to Patreon, check out the different tiers that we have there and the different cool things that you can get if you decide to support the show. $2, $4, $6 a month, whatever you can do. We'd really appreciate it, but I'm not going to belabor that point. I've got Oliver on the line. He's ready to go, so I'm going to stop talking. You guys sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I want to welcome my guest to the show. It's Oliver from New Zealand. Welcome to the show, Oliver. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So let's get right into it. I know you've had some experiences that you want to share with us. So why don't you just take us back to where you were, what you were doing and what happened to you? Well, I'm, uh, I'm now 60 years of age and uh, I've, had, um, I've had what we call paranormal experiences right from a very early age, from about four or five. So um, what I'll do is I'll go back to that early age and uh, through chronological order, tell you what I experienced. So first of all, um, I believe I had alien contact when I was a, a very small child. My parents split up when I was about four and we moved with my mother into my grandparents' home. Uh, this is in a town called Stafford in England, in the middle of England. And uh, we lived there with my grandparents, my mother and my two sisters. It was an old house. It's a big old house. It was built at the end of the 19th century. It was what we call um, semi-detached. So there were two houses side by side, great big brick, brick houses. Uh, there were three bedrooms. They had a living room, dining room, uh, kitchen, and they had a cellar and they had a large attic. It was a spooky old house. It was old. I was about four or five. And uh, I always got the EBGBs walking around the house in the daytime, let alone at night. But um, what happened was uh, I would share a room with my sisters. There were three of us, in the, two in a bed and one other sister in another smaller bed. And um, for the longest time, I thought these were dreams. I just thought I was having bad nightmares. Uh, but it was the same nightmare again and again and again. So, you know, it was years later that I started to put two and two together but what would happen is I would wake um in the early hours and I would get out of bed for whatever reason and I couldn't wake my sisters uh I would go out of the bedroom couldn't either reach the light or the light wouldn't come on it was always dark and as I say it was an old house and it was a spooky house so I don't understand why I would be wanting to walk around in the middle of the night in this old spooky house. But I was sort of compelled. I was almost like in a trance and I would walk down the stairs. So I'm now going further away from my family. My mother's in one room, my grandparents are in another room and my sisters were in the bedroom I just come out of. So they're all upstairs and I'm now walking down the stairs. Um, 
you know, if I was in my right mind, I wouldn't be doing this at all. But I walked down the stairs and at the bottom of the stairs on the right hand side, there was a door leading into the living room. There was a front door ahead of me and then there was a corridor around to the left and that led to other parts of the house. As I would come down the stairs, as I would walk down the stairs, I always knew, I knew that the door on the right at the bottom, the living room, is where they would come from. And I would be looking at it and my eyes would be on it, but I would keep walking for some reason. And I'd walk down and I'd get to the bottom and I'd turn left and I'd walk down towards the, the, the cellar. At that point, that's when these beings would come through that door. They would simply float through a solid door. There was always three of them. They didn't walk on the ground. They hovered above the ground. Now, as a, as a four-year-old and a five-year-old, it was very obvious to me that they weren't human like my family. You know, I obviously, I'd, you know, I'd met people. I, I was aware of what humans looked like. Um, I don't know. Well, I suppose I was frightened. I, I don't ever recall screaming and crying out. I was just sort of mesmerized by these 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 beings, and they would come through the through the door, one behind the other, three of them. They I, I, they seemed taller than me, but they probably weren't because they were floating off the ground, and their heads were way below the level of the top of the door. So I, I would assume that they weren't that tall. They had large heads. They were bald headed. They wore some kind of a, uh, a close-fitting uh, suit, tight-fitting suit. Uh, they had ears, and they had eyes, and they had a nose, and they had a mouth. Um, and they would come towards me very slowly, very slowly. And I, at this point, could not move. And then I would just simply blank out, and I'd wake up the next morning having thought I'd had a terrible, terrible dream. And I had that dream. I had that occurrence many, many times, many times. I can't tell you how many times. But they got to a point where I would wake in bed and uh, there was either a, a taste on my mouth or a smell. There was something that, when I was still lying in bed, sort of wakened me to the fact that, uh, you know, alerted me to the fact that this was going to happen. Uh, it, it, I was about to get up and do the same procedure, climb out of bed go out the door, down the stairs, in the dark. Like, it's almost like I knew it was going to happen. And that, and that happened many times. So that happened in my, my mother's parents' house. On another occasion, I was staying with my other grandparents who didn't live that far away, a few miles away in the same town. And I went to stay with them. I was probably about five or six at this time. And I remember my grandma, my, na my nan saying to me, look, we'll put you into this smaller bedroom and you can spend the night there. And I insisted I didn't want to spend the night on my own. I said, I'd rather I sleep with you. So they put me in her in their bed. And, and um, on this one occasion, I remember lying in bed between my grandparents and then raising, rising up out of the bed very slowly, facing the, the ceiling, uh, but raising very slowly. And as I was rising up, I, I sort of was able to turn myself over. And so now I was looking down at my grandparents and I could see the two of them. I could see the gap where I'd come from. Uh, I could see my grandma on the, on the, on the um, left-hand side, my granddad on the right-hand side. And I sort of moved up very slowly up into the far corner uh, of the room, sort of at a 45-degree angle, very, very slowly, and watching them all the time as they seemed to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And then that, that was it. I don't remember anything else. So those were the experiences I had um, being 
pulled up out of the bed and floated up through the bedroom and wherever. And that was at my, and at my other grandparents where we lived, seeing these beings float through um, the door, a solid door, you know, it's kind of nothing goes through a solid door. Now, it wasn't till I was about 13 or 14 that um, that all came back to me because it then, then it did stop and I didn't have the dreams after that. So probably by the age of seven, I, I wasn't having those dreams. But when I got to about 13 or 14, I found a book. I think my, was my grandfather was into this, he was into paranormal. He, he loved reading books on this sort of stuff. And I found this book and I was reading through it and it was all about UFOs and alien abduction. And I started reading the stories that people were telling about their experiences. And it suddenly like a light bulb went bam, because they were talking about these beings floating through solid walls and, and doors and floating above the ground. And they had large heads. And I was like, holy crap. Wow, wow, wow. That's what used to happen to me you know, when I was a, when I was a young boy. The only difference is... And this, and this, I'm okay with it now. I've come to terms, and I, I think I understand what's going on. But they weren't the typical greys. People talk about these beings with big wraparound eyes. They didn't have those wraparound eyes. They almost had a human face. They were very human. They had eyes and a, and a little straight nose and a mouth and ears. They looked like little little people, but their heads were were much bigger. You know, they just had a very um, extended head, you know, uh, bald. So it was, it was obvious that they were <laughs> they weren't people. So those were my that was my what I believe was my alien um, contact. I don't like to use the word abducted. You know, they if they took me somewhere, they always brought me back. Um, so I, I don't think I had a bad experience at all. I, but as I say, I can't remember. You know, beyond them coming towards me and me rising out of the bed and that was that that was my experience with them with those little fellas i've asked this question several times i've had people on the show that say they were abducted and they've had alien experiences very similar to what you described something shows up in their bedroom they have this feeling of floating or going through solid objects and things like that and i asked the same question of everybody and i'll ask the same question of you because you've referred to them as dreams a couple of times. What do you say to those people that, well, A, do you think it's possible that you were having dreams or do you think these beings were actually in your bedroom or in your home? What, what do you think now looking back, how do you feel about what you experienced? Do you think it was a dream or do you think these were actual alien contacts? Over the years of reading other people's experiences, reading books and I've read hundreds of books and I've listened to stories and I've, I try to do as much research as I can. I don't think they're dreams and I've had dreams and I, there's a, there's a few dreams that I remember. Uh, they stood, they stood out, but this was a long, this was a repeating dream. It, it, it wasn't just one dream. It, it repeated itself again and again and again. And it was so very clear to me when, when they came through that door, it, it was the same as looking at you, except I'm looking at you in a video. These were solid objects. They were solid. They were beings. There was no expression on their faces. Um, they just simply floated through as if, as if this is what they always did. They had an agenda. They were going to stick to their agenda, uh, you know, 
and they would just come through, they would look at me, and then I would just, I would remember the rest. I did think there were dreams. I thought there were dreams for years and years and years, as I say, until I started reading books on other people's experiences. And then I'm just thinking, holy moly, you know, either these people have all made it all up or how can we all be having these kind of weird dreams? How can we, how can all these people all over the world be talking about something so similar? They float above the floor. They go through solid objects. How does something go through a solid object? You know, we, we, we can't do that. We can't run into a wall and go through it. You know, so I don't know. I, I, uh, but, but when I was 14, it was still an enigma. It was still something strange. And as I say, I'm a bit older now, and I've, I've had many, many, many experiences. And I think, I think they're all kind of related and they all come together in some reason. I, I don't know what it is. I don't like to say the word I'm chosen, but I think there are people who experience a lot more than, than others, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I, I can't say 100% they weren't dreams, but for me, for me, they were real. They were very, very real. Um, and I've never had them since. I've, I've never seen an alien, well, not that I know of, you know, it's, they change, they change, um, you know, shape or they can turn into human form. And I'll tell you another, I've got another little story which could lead on to that. But um, yeah, I'll tell you that in a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get there, that being said, right, they, you don't think they were dreams. I've asked this question of other folks, too, that have had these experiences. Why do you think it was you that they, I know you don't like to be called the chosen one, but you were in effect chosen to see them. So that's the other question that always fascinates me about this subject is why you versus someone else? Do you think it's something that I've asked other people, do they think it's something that's hereditary? Is it something that's been through their family and other people have had experiences? Or do you think it started and ended with you? Well, I always wondered with my grandfather on my mother's side, as I say, because he was always interested in them, in the paranormal. My, my grandmother was very serious. She was a very unemotional woman um, to the point where, uh, I wouldn't say child abuse, but we never got a lot of affection from my grandmother. Um, you couldn't just simply run up to her and have a hug. She just, you know, they, they just weren't into that sort of thing. But I do remember her once talking about when she was a, a nurse during the war and she was um, in a ward and, uh, and a head, a head, not a body, just a head floated through the wall and went right past her. Um, I remember she telling me that story. That's about the only sort of spooky paranormal st story she ever told me. But my granddad was interested in the paranormal. Um, and, and the strange thing is, he he was born into a very poor Welsh family. They very in, in 1910, and they had very little food, uh, and they were incredibly poor. He used to tell me he used to go to school in bare feet, which was a bit of a a, a joke because I've got little I've got kids that are big, but we live out in the countryside here in New Zealand. And when my kids uh, would go into primary school, they would take their shoes off and walk in bare feet. And all the country kids preferred to walk in bare feet, which was kind of an irony because my granddad went to school in bare feet, but they couldn't afford shoes. But he was, he was, uh, mal he had malnutrition. He had, he had rickets. He had all kinds of medical problems, uh, from the fact that, uh, they didn't have enough food, enough vitamins. And, um, he had bow legs. He was so bow legged. It looked like he'd been riding a horse all his life, you know, and yet he lived till he was nearly a hundred. 
you know, he he went on to live to nearly 100. So a, a man who, who who didn't start off so well in life managed to live to 100. And and and, I, and I'm, the reason I'm mentioning that is because I've had many, many uh, close shaves with death, near near death experiences and uh, you always think how the hell did i get out of that how did that how did i why am i still here i've now come to believe that i have a spirit guide or spirit guides but i do have a spirit guide and i've in the last five or no 15 years actually i've been contacting this spirit guide communicating with this spirit guide and i'll talk about that later as well so i wonder if before i was born and i've also had a reincarnation talk about other lives um, if before I was born, you know, the, you often hear people talk about you, you, you were pick, you, the family. You didn't pick that family. You were put into that family, you know, you know, because I used to often think that why am I in this frigging family? You know, why am I, you know, why, you know, dysfunctional what, as it was. But I don't think you have much choice. I think you are put into a human form for whatever reason. Um, and some of us have these guides these spirit guides that are watching us through the life and so we we have to continue this journey through life and even though things are thrown at us accidents can happen near misses close shades of death some of us seem to keep to keep going you know it's like you know you have these stories of a plane crash and everyone's dead except one person walks out alive and you think how how how, how did that happen stay tuned for more sasquatch odyssey we'll be right back after these messages Hey everyone, it's Brian. Do you like saving time? I know I certainly do. One of the ways that I save time is enjoying Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto Meals. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You can fuel up fast with Factors restaurant quality meals in just two minutes. They have a wide variety of options for your entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And one of the best things about these delicious meals is there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And Factor meals are flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need as you choose your meals every week. And plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor truly is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head over to factormeals.com odyssey50 and use code odyssey50 to get 50% off. That's code Odyssey50 at factormeals.com slash Odyssey50 to get 50% off now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But as I've got older, I often think, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm going to jump in front of a bus to see, to prove that, you know, I'm invincible. But I've, I've had quite a few close shaves with death and um, I've, I'm still here. So, I, so yeah. So the question was, why do I think, I think it's like having a, I don't know, a, an experiment with an animal and you, and you want to keep that animal safe you know you want to release it into the wilds but you don't want it to be killed immediately so you know you're going to try to protect that animal from a distance you want it to 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 uh, assimilate with with uh, uh, all the other animals around it but you don't want it to be killed you, you know you, you, do you understand what i'm saying i definitely understand what you're saying yeah so i think i think um yeah, I think I've got a I've got a spirit guide with me, and um, uh, I think maybe those aliens were my spirit guides. Maybe they were my spirit guides, just making sure uh, I was where I was supposed to be, and um, it was going to be all right. And uh, maybe they were communicating with me. I, I don't remember any of that, of course. So yeah, that's that's what I think. As crazy as it sounds, as crazy, and all what I'm going to talk to you about is crazy. Everything's crazy, you know. If you've never had an experience with anything like this, it's very hard to believe it and to understand it. But once you do have an experience, then it's like you don't really care what other people think because you had the experience and, and you know what you saw and you know what happened. And mm, it is what it is. Either take it or leave it. You know? Well, let's kind of go chronologically. That was at age four or five. So what was the next thing that, that sort of happened to you along your paranormal journey? Uh, okay, so, so the next thing, I'll, I'll talk about reincarnation reincarnation so i'm now a big big believer I'm, there's no you know it, it, it for me it, it's it's for real so again when i was a, a little boy um that's probably about nine or ten i had a fascination with um the battle of waterloo napoleon's um era and i would collect I would collect these little model soldiers. Uh, there was a toy shop in, in town, in Stafford, and I'd get my mum to buy me these little soldiers. They were little figurines of, of French and British soldiers. And they came in, yeah, they were yellow, yellow plastic soldiers, tiny. And uh, I would get paint, and I would paint all their, their bodies, their uniforms. You know, now I'm 10 years of age. I'm not an artist. I can't imagine how bad the paintwork was. But there were the... There was the, the French ones tended to be in the blue or the darker colors, and the British were in red, the red coats, you know. And I'd set these soldiers out on my mum's bedroom floor because it was a huge bedroom floor. And um, I would play these battles. I had this bat these battles with these soldiers. And I went out and bought a record. I heard this piece of music, so I got this album. It was Tchaikovsky. My first ever album as a 10-year-old or 11, 10 or 11, was Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. I love the music, but I don't know if you're familiar with that 1812 Overture, but there's a lot of cannons, boom, boom. So uh, I, I, had, I had an old record player. I put this album on, play this music while I'm playing with my soldiers, and then when it came to the boom, the cannons going off, I'd destroy my armies, you know, they'd knock them all over. So 
So that was the first thing. Didn't make sense. I just was fascinated with, with Napoleon. I remember being taken to a um, park uh, or, or so uh, an event, and there was a jockey riding around on a horse. And I was very small, so probably, you know, 10 or 11, small child. And I, and I saw this great big, it was, a group, it was a big horse, a big gelding horse. And I went straight up to it. I ran, and, you know, I think I was with my mother and she was a bit shocked, you know. But I went straight up to this horse and I'm, and I'm looking up at this horse and it brought its head down. And our faces almost touched and I touched it, you know. And my mother was almost beside herself thinking the horse is going to bite me or, you know, hurt me. But um, I've always had this fascination with horses, this this closeness with horses ever since I can remember. Um, I've loved horses I, and, I, and I ride. I've been riding since I can remember. But horses and dogs were always, uh, my two animals. And uh, when I got to school, well, not primary school, when I got to, uh, we called it, um, we didn't have a middle school. You went straight to the high school. Uh, I was 11. And uh, I did a biography. I did a biography on Napoleon. I picked Napoleon. And um, I, I read books about him, and uh, I was fascinated by this character. Um, now, you've got to remember, I'm, I'm, I'm an Englishman, and the Battle of Waterloo was won by the British, Duke of Wellington. Uh, he beat Napoleon. But I wasn't interested in the Duke of Wellington. You know, I wasn't interested in, I was interested in Napoleon. You know, for me, even though we, we are taught as children, you're taught, he was the evil character. He was the bad guy, you know, it, well, from a British perspective, you know, um, he's almost up there with Hitler. I don't think he's as bad as Hitler, but, you know, he was a bad, he was a bad character. Of course, the French don't look upon it like that. But I was fascinated by Napoleon. So I, um, I did a, a biography and got really good marks for it. So I was already showing an interest in that, in that era, that, that, that time, that time zone. Fast forward to 16 years of age. 16 years of age, I had a dream. Now, this was, as far as I was concerned, a dream. And in the dream, and I remember it, I, I, yeah, I remember it so clearly, I can still see it now. You know, I'm 60, and I can still see this dream when I was 16. In this dream, I'm flying through the clouds. There's clouds all around me, and I come straight through the clouds. And in front of me is a one-story, round building, white-painted walls with a thatched roof and it's big and all around it are tied horses lots and lots of dark dark black brown horses all tied up and it looked very very normal for it looked it just looked normal it was like normally it didn't seem odd the next thing i'm inside this building and i'm sitting down at a table and there's we're all soldiers we're all wearing the, that napoleonic period uh, costume and I've got a breastplate. I've got a breastplate. So I'm, I'm, I'm a cavalry soldier. I've got my helmet there. I'm with all my colleagues, other soldiers, and we're all drinking beer. And I remember the, the girls that were bringing the beer over to us didn't speak the same language. We, 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 had two, we, we were speaking a language. They had a foreign language. But I remember they understood what we wanted because we would just call and they'd bring more beer and we would just bring the beer. And then we eventually we left we got onto our horses i remember tying my helmet onto my saddle and we all walked on our horse you know rode our horses slowly back down to our camp i remember coming down to the camp and the guys i'd been drinking with they went off in one direction and and there was a tent our uh, the, uh, the, the army was getting up it was early in the morning it was about five or something and 
people were getting up and they were taking the tents and they were the old fashioned big round tents, like a, like a teepee type tent. And I remember these guys calling me over, like, you know, you've been out all night drinking, but at least you can come over and help take the tent down. So I rode over, tied my horse up. And before I ran over to, to help take the tent down, I ran over to a ditch and I knelt down and in the ditch were two chickens and I tied their legs together. So they weren't going to go anywhere. So obviously this was, these were chickens I'd found or caught, and this was a meal, a meal for us. And then I ran back to help take the tents down. And as we're taking the tents down, somebody shouted out, look, look, and they pointed um, way over yonder across all these fields. And I remember standing with everybody and looking across the fields, and way, way in the distance was the enemy camp. And they were all getting up and moving around. And they all had red coats. They were, it was all red. You know, it was the, there were red jackets. And then I woke up and I remember waking up thinking, wow, that was the weirdest friggin' dream I've ever had. Oh my God, it was so real. It was so real. But what surprised me was the enemy were wearing red coats. And again, being an Englishman, I would have thought that if I'm gonna have a dream about being in a battle, I would be an English soldier. And I obviously wasn't. I was obviously the opposite to whoever was to the to the British at that point, and that bothered me for years and years and years. I couldn't, I couldn't. I, you know, I think, what are dreams? What, what? Why do we have these these dreams? Or what are they? That bothered me for years and years and years and years. So I was sixteen. So we're going to fast forward now. I lived in Israel. I went and spent a year in Israel. I spent five years living in the USA. I was five years in Florida. When I was in Florida, I was I put a band together, and uh, I was an, I'm a musician, and and uh, we'd almost got a record deal. It was it was an amazing experience, but it didn't quite fall through, and I was kind of down on my you know, I was bit, not let's say depressed, but you know we'd gone from this roller coaster high to having ten labels, ten that wanted to sign us up to to zero, so it was a real reality check. It was a real slap in the face, like this is how it works in this business. You might make it, you might not. So I made a mind, a friend, American friend said, do you want to go to, do you want to go to, to Europe? Do you want to go to Spain for a few months? And let's go and pick some oranges. Let's take our mountain bikes. This is 1989. And let's go and, uh, you know, pick oranges. And I said, yeah, what the hell? You know, I mean, I'm done with the music. I'm, I'm over it. So we took our bikes. To, we landed in London. We spent a month in London doing dispatch riding, you know, delivering parcels on our bikes made a bit of cash and then we caught the ferry from i think uh dover and we were going over to france and we arrived in a town called cherbourg which is in normandy the northern part of france now i had nothing to do with the french i even dropped french at school i thought i'm not learning french because what's the point you know i'm never going to speak french i'm never going to go to france i couldn't care less i couldn't care less about french you know uh I, you know you're taught at school as i say the french are the enemy basically you know you know for hundreds of years the british and the french have had this you know so i'm getting off the ferry with my mate with our bicycles we've got panniers all over the bike all our gear tents everything and as we're riding over the cobblestones of the the port area it was almost like someone threw a bucket of cold, ice-cold water at me. This, this emotion, this feeling, wham, you know, that 
I was home. This was my my home. I'd never really felt that in the UK. I certainly didn't feel it in Israel, and I hadn't felt it in the US. I'm in France. I'd been here for about um, 20 minutes, and there was this overwhelming feeling that this was my home. I was home. And um, we never got to Spain. My mate broke his leg playing football. He had to go back to the States. And I ended up living in France for three years and having to learn to speak French. And, um, and I joined a band in Paris, and that's, an, that's another story. But I ended up living there for three years. So it's weird how things go. But that feeling of being home, the, uh, the connection with Napoleon, the dream I had that I was a French cavalry officer, and um, the fascination with horses and also swords. I had this real fascination with swords. I love them and I hate them, you know, um, swords. Um, I remember buying a, a, a replica of a, of a saber. It was, it was, you know, it wasn't expensive. I remember it being very heavy, but I remember holding it and touching it and thinking, wow, my gosh, you know, that could do a lot of damage. So that was that. And there's one more dream, which I think is related to all of this. Another dream I had, uh, I never saw the front of this person. It was almost like I walked through a door into a room and there was a, a, a woman, I think she was a younger woman. She had black hair and it was cut to a bob and she was staring out of a window and I could feel this sense of sadness coming off her. There was a real sense of sadness. And she looked like she was very well dressed. She didn't look like a pauper or a poor person. And, and the room had wood paneling. All the, 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 the walls were wood, wooden paneling. And there was a beautiful big window uh, that she was staring through. And she was staring through this window. And I always remember thinking um, there was a, she was sad. She was waiting for somebody. Um, and she was very sad. And that was that. But having, as I said earlier, try to communicate with my spirit guide, I've asked these questions. And remember, when I talk to my spirit guide and I use a crystal, I was introduced to this by a, another friend, of, a Scottish friend of mine. She told me about these crystals. And, and, and that was about 20 years ago. And I started using this crystal. And I don't know if you've ever used a crystal or if you know anything about crystals or, or trying to communicate, but it is the strangest thing because it only gives me a yes and a no, a yes and a no. And, and I asked it, um, I've asked it recently about, did I die in battle? And it says, no, I didn't die in battle. Uh, was I at the Battle of Waterloo? No, I wasn't at the Battle of Waterloo. I did discover I was at the Battle of Austerlitz, which is an, another French victory, one of Napoleon's um, better known uh, victorious battles, Austerlitz. Apparently I was at Austerlitz. I was in the Peninsula campaign that was, a, that was going on in Spain and Portugal in the uh, eight, 1812. Um, but I didn't die. Did I kill people in battle? Yes, it said I did, but I wasn't killed. And I was thinking, so did I grow like, did I, was I an old man, a Frenchman? Yes. But then I was thinking about this woman. Why was, she, what, what, what was the relevance to this dream and this, seeing this woman looking sad? So I said, um, was I a prisoner? And it swung very heavily. Yes. So I think I was captured and I was, interned i don't know where maybe back in britain but i was one of um i think they had about 120,000 french prisoners from napoleon's army in britain before you know the end of napoleon's reign so i think i was a, a prisoner prisoner of war so that's why i believe 
I've had this second life. I think in my previous life, I was a Frenchman, French cavalry officer. And I recently Googled French cavalry uniforms. And what I was wearing comes up. They're, they're called the croissiers. Croissiers. They're French heavy cavalry. They wore a breastplate. And all their horses were always either black or dark brown. They would get these horses from different parts of Europe, from breeders around Poland, some parts of Germany and France, but they never wore, rode, they never rode white horses. They were always dark black or brown horses. And as I say, when I came into this dream, there were all these dark horses tied up around the, the inn, the, the pub, whatever we were drinking in, you know. So that's my deja vu or my, or my reincarnation story. I think it's interesting because I, in some ways and, and on some levels, I believe in reincarnation. I hope that there is a such thing as reincarnation. It's difficult for me at times when people have stories like this because I've, I've never experienced that. But I'll just say this. L- let me play the, the skeptic, right? What, what do you say to skeptical people who say, well, you just had dreams and then you're, you're associating things that you've experienced with these dreams and you've created this past life for yourself. What do you, what do you say to people who, who believe that? I think if you have a dream, if you have a dream, one dream and you go, wow, like the, the dream I had, you, you know, you, it felt real. It was very real. It was very confusing. If I talk to somebody about that and they said, oh, it's just a dream. Then I could probably say, yeah, yeah, probably right. Cause I have had some weird dreams. Um, I've got about five that I can remember through my life. Two of them, two of them was that woman looking out through the window and one was being in that French cavalry outfit. So there's two dreams that seem to be connected. But it's the, it's the fascination with Napoleon when I'm a, a 10, 11-year-old. How many 11-year-old boys are fascinated? It's almost like you sound like you're a Southerner, so you're from the South, but imagine you have a fascination with um, um, Grant. Was he that he was a northerner in the Civil War? You have a fascination with him, or even a fascination with a British person who was over during the 1812. You had a fascination with him. What would make you, as a young American boy, want to be interested in, in an enemy? Do you, do you know what I mean? So here I was, fascinated by Napoleon, thought he was the best thing in the world, thought he was the most amazing guy, you know. And I bought these soldiers, and I loved horses, and I loved the sword, I had a fascination. So a fascination with this big saber, this love of horses. I had to just touch the horse. I was, And I still do. I have to go up to a horse and breathe and touch it, and, you know, there's a, connect, a connection. Um, so, and then, of course, going to France and feeling this, amazing emotional feeling and having no interest in France. I mean, the idea was we would ride our bikes straight through France and go to Spain and pick oranges. That's where we were heading for, you know, maybe three weeks of riding our bike through France and then we'd spend a few months in Spain and then we'd fly back to the States. It never, it, we never it didn't work out that way. I ended up let's say, living there. So the feeling of being home, the fascination with Napoleon, the fascination with horses and a sword, having that dream that I had and playing soldiers when I was a tiny child, you can't help but put them all together. You know, it, unless you're just completely 
you have no open mind. You know, you're completely blanked and you're just looking straight ahead and everything's black and white. But nothing is black and white. Nothing's black and white in this world. I can tell you that for now. Nothing's black and white. Nothing's black and white. There's so much, I won't swear, but there's so much stuff going on either side of us. It's almost like we live in a house. Stay tuned for more Sasquatch Odyssey. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey everyone, it's Brian. Do you like saving time? I know I certainly do. One of the ways that I save time is enjoying Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto Meals. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You can fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals in just two minutes. They have a wide variety of options for your entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And one of the best things about these delicious meals is there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And Factor meals are flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need as you choose your meals every week. And plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor truly is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head over to factormeals.com slash odyssey50 and use code odyssey50 to get 50% off. That's code odyssey50 at factormeals.com slash odyssey50 to get 50% off now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lots of rooms. And we live in one room. But next door, there's another, there's something, somebody or something else in that room. And there's somebody in that room. And there's somebody in that room. And there's somebody in that room. And, and if you want to be stupid and think it's just us, you know, that's fine. But if you want to open your mind and say, is there somebody next door? Is there somebody in that room? Is there somebody, you know, you, you know, I look at ants and think, oh my God, you know, you, you live in an ant hill. This is your life. But you have no idea what humans do. You little ants don't know that we're flying in planes around the world and we're doing this and we're doing that, you know? So for people to say, this doesn't exist. This doesn't, this is not real. It doesn't exist. You had a dream. It's your, it's your imagination. As I say, I'm 60. I get to a point now where I couldn't care less, you know, and if they don't want to, if they're not interested. And, and, and the great thing about talking to you is you're interested, you see, and the people that follow this podcast are interested. I would imagine most people are interested. 
but not everybody's interested. So you can't talk about this to everybody. I don't get to talk. I don't get to tell, tell these stories to most people because they just think you're completely stupid and you're like, you know, they're not interested. And it may be because they're frightened as well. I think a lot of people get frightened by this. So you can't, you can't just go and chat to, you know, you, you make friends with somebody and you're having a glass of wine or a beer and you say, oh, by the way, are you into ghosts or aliens or Bigfoot? Or, and they're like, they're looking at, they're like, no, man, no. We go fishing, man. We shoot pigs. We, you know, do you know what I mean? We put money on the horses. Yeah. So that, for me, talking to you, it's, I wouldn't say it's therapy, but it's a great way of, um, of communicating my feelings with like-minded people. You know, and you may be critical, and you may you may be uh, you know skeptic, um, but I'm telling you my experiences. So I do believe we have we're, we are here for, and we're here for a reason. And and I've heard people talk about this, but I do believe that we come into this life um, to learn something. And if we have many lives, it's because we haven't learned in the last life. So I would I think, well, why am I in this life? Why am I here? When I was 17, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to be an actor, but nobody encouraged me. So I went and joined the Royal Marines. I went into the, to the British commandos. I went down to, to Limston in Devon, and I started to do my seven months basic training. I absolutely hated it. I hated being told what to do. Uh, this was back in 1980. There was a lot of bullying. You can imagine it was, it was a, quite an elite regiment, the commandos, the Royal Marines. Um, there was a lot of bullying. We all got bullied. We all got beaten and abused and all that. But the idea was it was make us tough. I think we were all pretty tough anyway, but we just didn't need that psychological abuse. Anyway, I decided to come out. I came out of the Marines and um, my family were quite disappointed with me uh, to the point where I got quite down. And that's when I went off to Israel. I went to Israel and I lived on, I lived on a kibbutz for a year and had a great time. But a couple of years later, we went to war with the Falklands um, and all the guy, a lot of the guys I was training with, I saw them going onto the ships to head down to the Falklands. So I, I, there's no doubt if I'd stayed in the Marines, I would have gone down to the Falklands and I would have been involved in the Falklands war. I always thought I should have stayed in the Marines. I always thought I should have done my bit for queen and country. And some years later, uh, when I was living in London, I joined the Territorial Army, the TA, the sort of, you know, the, the reserve. And I joined a very, a very elite regiment, a very elite regiment, um, like a, a special forces regiment. I joined them as a, as a civilian. Now, they were taking civilians. You could join as a civilian, but you had to be super, super, super fit. And we had to run eight miles in 57 minutes. And when I first joined, I was able to run eight miles in 57 minutes. So all the physical tests that they put us through at the beginning, I did. I got through. And then we were about to go off to the Brecon Beacons, which is a rough rural part of Wales where we do a lot of walking and carrying a big pack and our, you know, a lot of outdoor tough stuff. And I couldn't make it because I was actually in a play. I was an actor by now. I was an actor, a professional actor, and I was in a play. And I remember saying to my commanding officer, I'm sorry, but I can't go to the Brecon Beacons this time around. I'm in a play. And he, and he looked at me like, what the? Because if you were employed, if you were employed, like you're an accountant or a banker or anybody like that, and you were in the TA, you had the right to go off and train. Your employer could not stop you. You had to. It was an obligation. 
But as an actor, you can't, you know, and I had a big part, you can't desert the play. So I, had, I did the play. I did the play for about three or four months. And when it finished, I went back to get back into this particular regiment. And I could never run that time ever again. I never, never made it. So I never got in. I never got in. And I felt quite disappointed. And I felt sort of, I'd let myself down and, you know. And then I think about it years later, it's almost like I wasn't supposed to be a soldier. Just you, you see, I, I, I wasn't supposed to be a Royal Marine and I wasn't supposed to be a soldier. It's almost like, again, this guiding hand is trying to guide me away from violence, pretty much violence, you know. And I thought about it and I thought, well, maybe that's why this, I'm here in this second life. Because in my other life as a Frenchman, I think I had killed people and I'd seen death. And I was back now to try to, you know, learn from those mistakes. I used to do a lot of shooting. I used to do a lot of hunting. I was a gamekeeper. And I'll tell you a story about the gamekeeping in a moment. Um, and so I've shot animals. I've skinned them. I've eaten them. I've eaten most things. Uh, but now I'm a vegetarian. Uh, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I cannot imagine killing an animal, uh, you know, for ethical reasons, everything. So I've, I've changed. So it's almost like, I, you know, why am I here? And I think I'm here to try and learn from previous lives. So basically not to kill. That's, that's what I believe. Um, and that's where I'm going. So I don't think I could ever go back to eating meat and God forbid I'd have to, you know, kill somebody so because if i did holy moly then i gotta start it all over again and come back and you know but we don't know why we're here because it's almost like they erase the memory every time we come back it, it's like it's up to us as individuals to learn there's no one going to tell you well you should be doing this now and you shouldn't be doing that we as individual human beings homo sapiens sapiens we have to make our own choices and we make those choices through life and then when we pass then we're judged and um, i do believe there's a spirit realm uh, i do believe there is no hell there is no hell i don't think even the baddest person goes to hell i think we all go to a spirit realm everybody goes to the same place and then you know what did you do you did this this wasn't right this was wrong this was bad can you learn from this and then we start again I forgot what your question was, but um. <laughs> I'm sure at some point in that you, you answered it beautifully. So there, there was a lot in that, that, that I'll have to go back and listen to because I, I agree with about 85% or about most of those things. And that's why I sort of believe in reincarnation myself, because I, I think we're here to learn. And I think that's one of the reasons that it took me a long time to, you know, I'm in my late forties, I'm 47 years old to, to do these shows and do the things that I do now that I never thought I would have done. If you'd asked me 10 years ago when I was still policing as a cop in the city of Atlanta, would I be sitting here talking to you on 40 acres in North Carolina doing a paranormal podcast and talking about UFOs and reincarnation and Bigfoot and all these things? I would have laughed in your face because I just, you know, I've always been interested in those things, but I never would have thought that I would have gotten to this point in my life. And here I am. So I hope I'm learning and I don't have to repeat some of the things that I've been through. I've not had the easiest life. It's not been the, the greatest, but I've learned from that. And I think that, like you said, the analogy with the house and the rooms, I think a lot of people 
get in their own room and they stay in their box and they stay in their lane and they never deviate from that. And if you never open those doors, you never see the people beside you or the other things that are beside you. So I think that was a really good analogy for, for life in general and particularly these kind of subjects when you're talking about things like the paranormal and Bigfoot and aliens and all the things that we talk about on the show. I think if you don't open those doors and you, you leave your mind closed and you're not at least willing to accept other people's reality and other people's experiences, I think you're doing yourself a real disservice. Well, we call it paranormal, but I don't think it is paranormal. I think it's normal. It's just that we, most people don't want to accept it. Um, you know, I mean, I'm married to um, my wife, a beautiful woman. We've been together 23 years, nearly 24 years. Um, she's a, a medical professional. She's highly uh, educated. Her family, are, uh, all of her family are highly educated. I mean, ridiculously educated. Um, and she's got a scientific, a scientific mind. And we had an experience together, and I'll, I'll talk about that. But had we not had that experience together, I think she would still, and she still does, she doesn't like me talking about this, so I'll be honest. Um, you know, I never, as I say, I never talk about it at home. She, she's not comfortable with it. And it might be for two reasons. Number one, her academic mind was taught this is how things are. And unless you have the proof, which is what everyone says, scientists says, you need the proof, you need the proof, you need the proof. If I can't see it with my own eyes, it doesn't exist, which to me is a load of bollocks because I've never seen a blue whale, never seen a blue whale, but I've been shown videos and film footage of what people say is a blue whale. So I have to believe that's a blue whale. I can't see how big it is. They say, oh, it's a hundred feet long. It looks about 10 feet to me. You know, do you see what I mean? But I'm taught this. I'm taught that we are taught certain things and this is how it is. But we don't see everything. We just have to believe what people are saying. But because these accredited scientists, because these accredited academics, you know, that, you know, we can't say, oh, what about this creature or this creature? No, 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 no it doesn't exist. Yeah, well, people have seen it. No, 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 no. It's all a load of bollocks, you know? I've always been fascinated by. I mean, I, I love your Bigfoot behind you. You know the the, uh, the Patty. I'm a big believer in Bigfoot. Massive believer. I love it, and I would love to see one. And um, I said to my son, he's just gone off to university in Christchurch. I said, one day you and I are going to go to British Columbia. We're going to go to Vancouver, and we're going to go hiking and looking <laughs> and looking for Bigfoot. I would love to see them. I would love to see them. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean. There's, there's mixed views on that, though. Some people say they're the friendly giants. Some say they'll just rip your head off. So, but that's another, that's that's uh, that's just me, you know, my fantasy. But um, yeah. Uh, so as I say, my wife and I had an experience. So she now has got one foot in the believer um, um, uh, group, you know, and I'll talk about that in a little in a while as well. So, um, so yeah, that's my reincarnation. I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk about the ghosts I've had, I've had a lot of good ghost experiences, but I'll just throw in my UFO experiences now, okay? So, because I've had all this stuff. So, three UFO experiences. And when I say UFO, unidentified flying objects, because in my mind, that's what they were, but they just behaved strangely. Now, the third one is the one that really blows my mind. The third experience is the one that makes me think, well, there's no doubt what that was. There's no doubt what that was. But the first two, the first two 
they were weird, they were strange behavior, but you can't say for 100% that that's, they were extraterrestrial. But the first one was, I was in India, I was in Bombay, Mumbai, I'd gone out to do a Bollywood movie, and I had some time off. And I had four friends, and they took me to a beach uh, just outside of Mumbai, Bombay. And we're on the beach, and uh, it was dark. It was late at night. It was, it was very warm. I remember it being very warm. And we're walking along this beach, and there were lots of little huts. Uh, there were fishermen's huts, and they hung their fish out. Oh, my God, the smell of fish. It was an incredibly fishy smell uh, as we walked along this beach. But we were all chatting away, the five of us. And um, I, I was looking out on the horizon because I love, I love looking at the stars, and I, I like to look around. Um, you know, I've, I've always... You know, if you walk through a forest, I like to look. I like to see what's around me and just walk straight, you know? So I'm a bit slow when it comes to hiking and walking because I'm looking at everything. But we're walking along and I'm kind of at the back and I'm looking out at, at the ocean on my right, the horizon. And there was a light out on the horizon and I thought it was a star, but it was a big star. It was, And that's why I sort of was focused on it because it was bigger than the average star. And I'm looking at this star thinking, is it a planet? And if it's a planet, what planet could that be in that particular location on the horizon there? And I'm looking at this star and we're, the, other, the other four are chatting away. We're chatting, chat, 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 chat. We're walking along this beach. And then I swear to God, this friggin' star starts moving. It starts moving slowly, parallel. It's, it's going along with us. It's way out. It's a long way out. It's not close by. And I'm like, that's moving. Maybe it's a helicopter. And I'm watching it. And then it sort of shot up straight, straight up. Um, and it stopped. And I'm like, whoa. And then it kept, it would stop. It would, it would stay still. And then it would zoom, stop. And it would zoom back, stop, and it would move slowly. And then it would do some more erratic movements. And I'm like, well, that's not a plane. And I don't think that's a helicopter. Maybe it's a searchlight. Maybe someone's got a light. So I called the others and I said, look at, the, I said, look at this light. And we're all now looking at this light. And they're all joking and laughing. And someone said, oh, it's a UFO, you know. And I'm like, wow, it's, it's, it's behaving very strangely. So somebody got a lighter. And they litter, this a lighter, and they're holding this lighter up, and they're going, we're here, we're here, come, come. At which point, I swear to God, this light looked as though it started coming towards us. And we all freaked, and we legged it back to the car, and we all drove off very quickly. Uh, so that was, that was that experience. So what it was, I don't know. Was it extraterrestrial? I don't know. It was just a very, very strange light anomaly doing something weird. The other second light, and, and, th and this, is, this happened on more than one occasion. My wife and I would sit out at night. We live out in the countryside. We're on an acre and a half of, of, of land. And it's very, very quiet. The nearest, well, the neighbors are about 100, 100 yards either side, and they've all got about an acre and a half of, of garden as well. So we're quite spread out. It's very quiet. There's no street lights. pitch black, it's beautiful. You just hear the crickets and the cicadas. And, um, We've got birds, which make strange sounds out here in New Zealand. But we're sitting outside, we normally having a cup of tea, and we're sitting at our little, little table, and we're, and we're looking at the stars, and the stars are fantastic in the Southern Hemisphere, and especially where we are. I would say there's no artificial streetlight. And I used to watch the satellites in the UK. In the UK, there were a lot more satellites going over. You could normally see a satellite every minute. There'd be because Britain's more condensed and it's right part of Europe and it's busy, busy, busy. So you'd see a satellite going over, and you could see the satellites. They're tiny, tiny white dots, 
far up, moving at great speed, and they go over and they disappear. Well, down in New Zealand, we don't get as many satellites going over. Um, but we do get them, and they're normally going from a, a north to a south direction. Occasionally, they will go from a west to an east. But this came from a sort of a northwest so it was unusual. They don't normally come that way. And it was going in a southeast direction. And I saw it and I said to my wife, look, look at that. It's a satellite. It looked like a satellite. It was bigger than, the, than what they normally look like. And it was going in a very straight, straight direction. And it would get to a certain point and it would vanish. It would vanish. So we just looked at that and we thought, well, that was weird. Was that a meteorite? It didn't look like a meteorite. It just, it looked like a... It looked like a, a white star or a satellite, a large satellite moving, and it just vanished right in front ahead of us. And it was clear night. There was no clouds, nothing like that. And we saw that again some months later or a year later. I don't, it, was a, it was a long time later. We saw the same thing. We're sitting out and we see this light coming in the same direction and disappearing in exactly the same space. So those, those were two of the three which kind of made me think, you know, what were they? But the third, I have no doubt what it was. I've never seen an object. I've, never, I've not seen uh, a, a UFO object, but it was in the summer of 1997, I think, or maybe 98. And um, I was in London and my family had gone to Cornwall in England for a holiday for a few days. So I got the train up from London and I went to visit them. And we all had dinner in this hotel. And it was getting dark. It was summer. It was a summertime and it was getting dark. And I said to my nephew and my niece, they were probably around about 13 or 12. I said, do you want to come out and look at the stars with me? Because that's what I like to do, lie on my back and look at the stars. My nephew didn't want to do this, but my niece said yes. So I took my niece and we went, we went left the hotel, went across the road. There was a lawned area. It was quite high up on a cliff. Uh, there wasn't any, any artificial light. It was quite, quite um, a nice, clear um, area. And the stars were fantastic and we were lying on the ground and we were just staring up and looking at the stars and we hadn't been there very long lying down looking at the stars and there were two stars stay tuned for more sasquatch odyssey we'll be right back after these messages hey everyone it's brian do you like saving time i know i certainly do one of the ways that i save time is enjoying factors delicious ready to eat meals Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto Meals. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You can fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals in just two minutes. They have a wide variety of options for your entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And one of the best things about these delicious meals is there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And Factor meals are flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need as you choose your meals every week. And plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor truly is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head over to factormeals.com slash odyssey50 and use code odyssey50 to get 50% off. That's code odyssey50 at factormeals.com slash odyssey50 to get 50% off now. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The way I thought they were stars. Right above us. But they looked like stars. They were like stars. But... They were side by side, you know, and and I, you're not thinking anything other, you're not thinking anything other than the stars, and then the one, it glowed, and then shot off into space straight up, and the second one glowed, and shot up into space. So the two of them, the one glowed, was gone, glowed, and was gone. That was uh, that was that was, that blew my mind. It's definitely interesting. I've seen a UFO. And it was definitely not a light. It was a, a huge metallic craft. And I've talked about that on the show before, so I'm not going to bore the audience with my stories. But that is something that has always interested me, obviously, the, the UFO and the alien things. I've never really claimed that. I, I don't know what I saw. I don't know what it could have been other than something that was under some sort of control by something. I don't know. It was a huge craft. So I definitely think that we're being visited. I think they may have already been here for a while. That, that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down. But it's interesting that you've had so many different types of experiences because I, I've only seen one UFO. I've seen other things that I think even recently could have been, but it wasn't as definitive as that one time where I know what I saw. And I've had experiences that I think are possibly related to Sasquatch, found things on the property. We've heard vocalizations that I can't explain and things like that. I was paced out of the woods by something when I was like 12, but outside of that, and I've had ghosts. Well, the more I talk, the more I'm like you, I've had all these multiple experiences, right? (laughs) I was, I was getting to the fact that it's very interesting that you've had so many different types of what some would call normal or paranormal experiences. I think it goes back to what you were talking about just a little while ago with being in the house and opening those doors. I think I'm very open to this kind of stuff, and I've, I've talked about it with other people on the show. I think the more open you are to having these experiences, the more likely you're ha- you are to have them. It's very similar to walking in the woods and experiencing something with Bigfoot. If you're, if you're walking and paying attention to what could possibly be there, you're more likely to see it. Same thing with UFOs. People are outside all the time. Like you said, your nephew didn't want to go outside. Your niece got to go out and experience it because she was there in the moment and experienced what you experienced. But how many people do you know go out at night and look up at the stars? Mm. Not very many, right? Yeah. So, And the ones who do come back with stories because they see things very similar to what you just described. They're looking up, they're paying attention, and boom, there it is. But what was amazing was these the last story, the, the two of them together, was directly, directly above me. It's almost like they were, they were, they were monitoring me. They were following. Do you know? I mean, I could have been in any hotel in that town. I could have been anywhere else in that town in that area, and they would have been at a different angle. They were directly above me. Directly above me. You know, it's like if I was shining two torches up into up in, into space. You know, and amazing. They glowed, gone, glowed, gone, and they were gone. 
And my niece said to me, she said, Uncle, what was that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I didn't say it was a UFO. I just said, I don't know what it was. So those are my, um, my UFO and my alien and my uh, reincarnation stories. Now we'll get to the ghost stories because these are kind of kind of freaky and cool. I've been waiting so, on these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, these are interesting. Well, I think, I think they're all interesting. Everything's interesting. I love it all. So uh, before I get on to uh, the, the one ghost, I'm going to talk about an experience I had. So I used to live in London. I was an actor. I decided I wanted to give up the acting. I, I was over it. And we moved out of London. And we moved about two hours away into a rural part of England. And my wife was happy to do that and go with me. And she got a job working in the Midlands. And so we were in, a, in, in, the, in the Cotswolds, a rural part of, a part of England, beautiful place in, in England. But I still kept getting the odd job, acting job. And I got, this, I got a job um, on stage at the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden. And the, the, the rehearsals were fine because we had a, we had a even though we, we lived in a small town in the Cotswolds, we had a railway station which ran from our little town straight into London. So I could get to London in, in an hour and a half on the train, which was great. So while we did the five weeks of rehearsals, I was commuting back and forth on the train. But when we did the show and the show started at seven at night, the last train out of London for, for, to, to where I was living was nine o'clock or 9.30. So I couldn't catch it because we weren't getting out of the theater until after 10, 10.30 or something like that. So I had to drive. So I literally had to drive for two hours from my home to London, park up in London, go and do a two, two and a half hour show. I normally have a, a shandy afterwards. That's, a, that's, that's longer and lemonade mixed together. So it's not very strong. And then I drive two hours back. So four hours of commuting and a two and a half hour show. But I loved, I loved being on the stage so much that it never, it didn't cross my mind not to do the, the four hours of commuting. And I did that a few times. I had a few jobs where I did, did that. On one occasion, I'm driving back and I had a Peugeot 205 and it was, it was an old banger of a car. It was really, it, it wasn't anything to look at. And I just thought, I'm going to drive it till it dies. I'm just going to keep going with this car until it dies, you know. And I'm driving back from London and I get to Oxford. So Oxford is halfway between London and where we live in the Cotswolds. And when I'm coming through Oxford, I'm always quite excited because I'm thinking, oh, I've only got another 45 minutes, 50 minutes and I'll be home. And it was about, I don't know, 12.30 at night. And, and I came up to a roundabout. I was coming up to a roundabout. It was a big roundabout. And as I'm going around this roundabout, my rear wheel fell off, came off. So there's, there's sparks flying everywhere. You know, you, you can feel something's not, well, you know, you know, you know what, something's bad's happened. And I'm in a bit of a shock. And I'm thinking, holy crap. And I, I managed to drive the car around on three wheels. And there was a petrol station over on the left. As you went around the roundabout, there was a petrol station. And I managed to go and park the car safely in the petrol station on the forecourt. I'm still in a bit of shock. I'm still in shock. I'm thinking, holy shit, I've lost a freaking wheel. Uh, you know, and I'm, it's 1230 at night. When am I going to get home? Uh, do I ring my wife? I thought, no, I'm not going to ring her. I'm not going to sleep. I won't bother her. So I started running back up the road to look for my, my wheel. It's pretty dark. There is the occasion. There's a few lights because it's oxford uh, it's it's a big busy city but at 12 30 at night there's not much happening in oxford you know it's pretty quiet and I can't, i'm running to look for my wheel and then a man uh, uh, this chap comes from i think he's from behind me yeah i sort of said he said he said i believe this is your wheel and i turn 
And there's a man in a pinstripe suit, a very posh pinstripe suit, white shirt, tie, posh shoes, a middle-aged man. And he's holding my wheel in his arms. He's not even carrying it with his fingers. Like it's, it's a stinky, dirty old wheel. I mean, it's, it's not like a posh wheel. It's, it's a crappy old car with crappy old wheels. He's holding it. And he says, I believe this is your wheel. Very politely, very, you know. And I'm like, wow, yeah, thank you. And I take the wheel off him. There's no smell of alcohol. He, you know, he, he walks in a straight line. He hasn't been drinking. And I'm thinking, why is there a man in a pinstripe suit? He looked like a lawyer, you know, he looked like he was, a, he was a lawyer. Why is there a man in a pinstripe suit at 12.30 at night walking around this roundabout and he's found my wheel and he's, and he's bringing it over to me? And I said, thank you very much. I said, thanks a lot. I took the wheel. I started walking away. I hadn't gone very far, 10, 15 feet. I thought I'm going to turn around and say, thanks again. It's just going to be a big wave and say, thank you. Turn around. He disappeared. He was gone. He was gone. And I don't know where he could have gone. I don't know how. He, he must have legged it real fast to get out of my vision. So that's, that, that's always um, interested me. That, like, what, what was that all about, you know? Um, yeah, kind of strange. One of those bizarre moments. But we'll get on to um, ghost story number one. So I, after having lived in France, um, playing music, we, we almost got a record deal and it fell through again, again and again and again. And I moved back to London to try and promote my music in London. This is 1992. And I found my, my, I had an aunt, an auntie living near Wimbledon in Southwest London. So I thought I'll kind of live near to where they live because at least I know somebody because I didn't really know anybody in London at this time. So I found a I found a bed sit. So it's a it's a bed it's a room in a house, and I saw it advertised, and it was very very cheap. So uh, and it was close to the, the the train stations and the underground stations, and it was close to walk into into Wimbledon because I didn't have a car at this point. So I thought perfect, perfect. So I went over and introduced myself. Said I'm looking for a, for a room. You've got a room advertised. It was an elderly Irish couple. He was originally a Northern Irishman. So he was originally a, a Protestant from Northern Ireland. He'd married, and he told me the story, he'd married an Irish woman from the South, a Catholic woman. And his Protestant family got upset with him for marrying a Catholic woman, so they kicked him out. So he married her, converted to Catholicism. They lived together in the South of Ireland. And then they emigrated to London, and they became Mormons. They were now Mormons. So he said they were a Mormon family. So the first thing he said to me was this. You can live here, pay rent. We're happy to have you. But number one, no drugs. Number two, no alcohol. And number three, no women. You know, until you're married, you don't have a girl. You don't have, you know, this is the Mormon faith. And I said, yeah, sure. Fantastic. So I moved in. Well, it didn't take long before I did smoke a little bit of pot and I used to drink beers and whatever. And I used to sneak girls back. I used to sneak girls I, had, I met girls from doing, because I was an actor and you'd meet, you know, and, you'd meet, and I started to sneak them in, sneak them in, sneak them out. They never knew. This went on for two years, two years. Anyway, now I'm, I'm dating a girl. She's Swedish. She's from Sweden and she's studying drama in London. And um, so we go back to her parents, her house in Sweden for Christmas. For I think we went for a week's holiday. So we both, we both went, we went together to Sweden. We had a week in Sweden, and we came back. And I think it's about July. And um, 
the very first night I got back, I, I remember it was a warm evening and I had a big window and a big, big bay window and I opened the window. Oh, and so when I got back, uh, the, the landlady, she was very sad. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, her husband, I won't mention their names, but her husband had died. Hmm. And I was quite surprised because even though he was an old guy, he was big, he looked strong. And he put up a load of scaffolding outside my bedroom window and had been painting the house. He was painting the house red, red. The whole house was painted red. So I was kind of surprised that he died. I didn't know. I didn't ask what he died of. She just said he died and she was sad. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But kind of deep down, I was like, yeah, because he was a miserable old git. He was a miserable old git. So I went upstairs, went to bed. So I've just got back from Sweden. So I'm a little bit tired. I'm lying there in bed. Um, I got the windows. I can't remember if the curtains were open or not. Maybe they were closed. But the windows open, and I'm lying there, and I suddenly hear this this tap, bap, like a tap, like not a tap, a a, a, a knock, bunk, you know. I thought, oh gee, what's that? I'm lying there, bunk, oh, bunk, and I'm like, oh, for goodness sake! I'm trying to, I can't be asked to get out of bed and go, and you know, I, I'm just trying to sleep to this noise, and it goes, bunk, and then it went, bunk. And I'm like, oh, God, what the dickens? And he went, dunk, dunk, bunk. And I'm like, at that point, I jumped out of bed, ran, and I'm stark naked, ran to the window, thinking there's somebody on the scaffolding who's farting around out there, you know. And I was ready to confront somebody naked. I don't, you know, you try to fight somebody naked. It's not so, so cool. And there's nobody there. And there's a rope. And it's hanging. And it's not moving. And there's no wind. And I thought, that's really weird. That's really odd. It's obviously that rope that's been swinging, but there's no wind. And how can the wind blow it one way to make it to make it thud and then blow it the same, another way to make it thud? And, do you, you know, you can imagine a, the wind might blow it, but it won't blow it. The wind only comes from one direction. It doesn't, it's not like a hurricane, you know. Unless it was a hurricane. I don't know, a mini, mini hurricane. But anyway, I'm lying back in bed thinking, that was really weird. That was really weird. And pretty much it all kicked off from that very first night. I would wake up in the middle of the night feeling this heavy presence in my room, feeling there was somebody in my room. And I'd jump up and it was pitch black and I couldn't see anything. And I'd get out of bed and I'd put the light on and there's nobody there. And I was thinking, that's really freaking weird. It's never happened to me before. I've never had this happen to me before. Go to bed. Next night, same thing. I feel there's somebody in my room. I can't see them. I put the light on. This went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Eventually, I thought, it must be the old man. He must have come back. He must be a bloody ghost. And he's in my friggin' room, and he's haunting me. I wasn't frightened. I was just angry. I was just really pissed off that there was some somebody in my room. You know, you have no privacy. So I, I, I would swear, get the F out of here. Go to where you've got to effing go. Go to the other friggin' side. Go, fuck off. You know, excuse me, sorry. But just, you know... Leave me alone, but freaking hell, leave me alone. And it didn't. It went on and it went on. Eventually, I just got used to it. I thought, well, bollocks, you know? If you're going to be here, tough titty. I'm going to still do what I want to do, and you can just freaking, you know, that's how I felt. Anyway, come October, November, it stopped. I didn't get that feeling anymore. And I thought, oh, that's weird. He must have gone. He must have gone. So I didn't say anything. And my girlfriend, my Swedish girlfriend, said, it's, do you want to come over to... Um, Sweden for Christmas. I said, yeah, let's go to Sweden. So we went to Sweden for Christmas. And the Swedes speak English fluently. They're all 
fluent in English. So you can have a conversation with the Swedish quite, quite clearly. And we're at a party and we're sitting down at the party and, and I'm ch- chatting with these guys and they started talking about ghosts. And they said, who believes in ghosts? And I said, uh, well, it's funny you should say that because I think my landlord came back to haunt me. And they're like, wow, really? What happened? I said, well, I never saw him, but you know, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, wow, 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 wow. Anyway, at the end of the party, I'm walking with my girlfriend back to her family home and she's quite pale. She's quite, and she's quite serious. And she turns to me and she says, uh, you never told me you had a ghost in your room. And I said, oh, I said, I didn't want to think I was mad. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you because, you know, I'm in a relationship with a smart woman. I don't want you to, oh, he's a loony. I'm not going to hang around with him. And she said, oh, she said, I saw him. I said, what, what do you mean you saw him? She said, one night when I was staying over with you, someone touched me and I opened my eyes and he was there on the floor, kneeling down and his face was so close to my face. I could almost smell his breath and he was so angry. He had such an ugly, angry face. And uh, I said, well, what did you do? He said, she said, I just rolled over and hugged you. I thought it was a bad dream. And I said, why didn't you tell me? She said, I didn't want you to think I was mad. So that was my, um, that was my landlord. That was my landlord experience. And as I say, after a while it went. And then not long after that, I, I left and moved somewhere else. But definitely could feel, could feel the energy. You know when someone's right behind you. You know when someone's behind you. You know, you turn around, there's someone there. That's the same energy. It's the same energy. So a ghost has the same energy as a hum- as a living person, you know, except you just can't see them, you know. Well, I didn't see him, but my, my girlfriend did see him. Uh, the third story... And, and um, this is where my wife um, was a skeptic. As I say, she's a science, scientist, scientific mind. Uh, everything has to be in black and white. It, 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 it doesn't exist. So we moved from the UK. We came and emigrated to New Zealand. And we've been here 14 years. And we moved to a town called Matamata in, New, in the Waikato in New Zealand. And we, we were offered this lovely house. And it was only about 16 years old. So it wasn't very old. Uh, it was a two-story house. There were two bedrooms upstairs in the bathroom, and there were two st- two bedrooms downstairs. And it was a big house, and it was much bigger than our house in the UK. And the garden was much bigger. So we we're like, "Wow, this is fantastic! We got the big garden." Oh, we had a four-year-old and a three-year-old at this point that we had emigrated with a, a, a little boy and a little girl. And we thought they've got so much space, and there was a spa pool outside, and it was going to be so exciting. Um, and I remember going out into the garden, pretty much the first night or the second night. And it was, it was March, but it was still quite warm because it's the Southern Hemisphere, remember? So summer in, in New Zealand is December, January, February. So it was March, so it was still quite warm. And I went out to this garden and we had, we had other houses all around us. So it was a big yard, a big garden, but there were houses here, there and there. And I remember going out and getting the feeling that someone was watching me. And I thought, oh, someone's watching. But I thought, well, it must be somebody in the house, you know, maybe at the window. And they're looking at me because we just arrived. So I never thought much more about there. We put my son in a bedroom downstairs, made it all lovely for him. And then my daughter was upstairs with us. Um, and we had pet rabbits at this point. So what would happen would be, um, yeah, around about, well, it was always around about three o'clock. You know, people talk about midnight being the, the, the witch's hour. It's not, it's three o'clock. Three o'clock when things kick off. If, you, if you, something goes weird, look at your watch or your clock, and nine times out of ten, it would be close to three. So we would go to bed, and we had these rabbits in a hutch in the garage. 
And when a rabbit gets frightened, it kicks its back legs and it would kick against the hutch. So um, I thought maybe a cat had got into the garage. So I'd get up and I'd go downstairs and there'd be no cats. There'd be nothing in there and the rabbits would be there and they looked all right. I thought that's really weird. Oh, and another thing, um, I've got OCD. I've got ADHD. <laughs> I've got everything, you know. But my OCD is everything has to be straight. Pictures have to be straight. Books have to be Everything has to be reasonably neat. And um, I noticed pictures were moved, you know. And my kids were very small, so they couldn't reach these pictures. So I would correct them. And they kept moving. Pictures would move, you know, around the house, prints and things. And this kept happening. And then, and then which really spooked my wife, we had this clock. We have a clock. It's, a, it's an old Czechoslovakian um, pendulum clock, beautiful old antique clock. And um, it's, got a, it's got a heavy uh, weight and, you know, it's on a pendulum. And we had it on the wall and we're sitting watching telly one night. And suddenly the, the, the weighted part goes crashing down to the ground. Now, that can't happen. You can go the opposite way. You can pull the weight up, but you can't pull the weight down. It goes against the, 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 the little um, clogs, you know, the little, you know, inside the clock. And that scared us both. And, I, and we both jumped out of our seat thinking, holy shit, someone's just pulled that. And I jokingly said, we must have a ghost in the house. We tried to get that fixed, the, the clock. And they, the, the, the clock repair people couldn't figure out how that had happened. But it's like somebody come up to the clock, which is not far from behind our heads, and yanked it down to try and get our attention. So that started off, that clock. Then the pictures were moving. Things were moving. And I noticed they were moving because I put them straight. You know, I always put them back. I put things and they would move. And then the rabbits would kick, kick, kick at three in the morning. Um, and then my son said, in his four years of age, he said he saw people, he saw somebody at the window staring in, a face. And then he said he saw a shadow at his door, like a shadow of a man, of a person. And it, and it was standing there watching him, or it was there, and then it moved. This had gone on for a few months now, and I was kind of thinking there was something going on in this house, and I couldn't figure out what it could be, because it wasn't a very old house, and no one, neighbors hadn't talked about anybody dying there or anything like that. So, so we moved him from downstairs, and he was there for the longest time, for about eight months. And he kept saying he saw things, and we kept saying, oh, it's all right, you're having a bad dream. Stay tuned for more Sasquatch Odyssey. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, everyone, it's Brian. Do you like saving time? I know I certainly do. One of the ways that I save time is enjoying Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto Meals. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You can fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals in just two minutes. They have a wide variety of options for your entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And one of the best things about these delicious meals is there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And Factor meals are flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need as you choose your meals every week. And plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor truly is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head over to factormeals.com odyssey50 and use code odyssey50 to get 50% off. 
That's code Odyssey50 at Factormeals.com slash Odyssey50 to get 50% off now. But eventually we thought, no, 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 no. So we put him upstairs with our, with our daughter in, in, in their bedroom. And then we stepped, we kept hearing the rabbits would still be kicking and um, things were going on. And you could feel there was something not quite right. And then the dishwashers would come on at three in the morning. Machine, you know, the washing machine, the dishwashers, they just turn on at three in the morning. And so now, this is like we've been there a, a couple of years and we've noticed these things. My wife's still kind of skeptical. She still doesn't want to believe anything really weird. And um, then she said she started seeing shadows moving across, like a shadow of a person moving. And I saw the same shadow in a reflection as I was walking out uh, of the door. I saw a shadow behind me in, in, the, in the mirror go behind me. And at first I thought it must be my shadow. You know, maybe it's me. So I went back. And I did it again and again and again, and there was no shadow. So my wife started seeing the shadows, shadow people, whatever you want to call them. And I started seeing the shadows, uh, at which point I knew there was something in the house. And we were there for four years. And eventually, uh, and I talked to a neighbor about it. Um, and she just looked at me as if I was crazy. So I didn't talk to anybody else about it, you know. But the landlady had bought the house because she'd gone through a divorce. And she wanted to move from the family home that, the divorce had happened into a new house. So she bought this house with her two sons and the two sons lived downstairs. They slept downstairs. They're about teenagers and they were only there for six months because the sons said they didn't like living there. She never told me why, but the sons didn't like living there. So they moved back to their original house and that's when she rented it out and we, we happened to come along and we, we rented it and we rented it for four years. And I did tell somebody the story and they said, why do you stay there for four years? And I said, well, the, the rent was very, very cheap. The rent was cheap. So we stayed there for four years. So that's that's the ghostly experience in, in New Zealand, matter, matter. Uh, as I say, my wife, she heard the washing machines coming on. She heard the rabbits. Um, she heard the, my son talk about seeing things and she saw the shadows. So now, and she she heard that clock, you know, do what it did. So um, she, she's kind of, you know, she's got one foot now in the, in the paranormal world. Um, so the other ghostly story, and this is the last one, Okay, this is the last one now. This is quite interesting. So I was an actor. I moved to the Cotswolds. I got a job as a gamekeeper. That's what, a, a trainee gamekeeper. So I was going to raise pheasants and partridge for people to come and shoot on a big estate. And uh, it, uh, eventually I couldn't do it because I couldn't kill anything. As I said, I became well, useless. I couldn't shoot animals. So, But at the beginning, I, my wife said, you'll never do it. You're not. I said, no, I will. I can kill. I can shoot things. You know, no, you won't. Oh, yeah, 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 I can. So at the beginning, um, the gamekeeper took me out in his Land Rover and he was showing me the estate. And it was, it was 6,000 acres. It was a big, a big estate. And there were little villages on this estate and they all paid rent to the, to the, to the, to the Earl. It's a big country house, big mansion. And I got quite friendly with the Earl. We became quite, quite good friends. Um, but that's another story. So, the, land, so the, 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 the gamekeeper is taking me out in his Land Rover and he's showing me where we release birds. We put birds here at this age, and then we put birds here at this age, and this is where they're released, and this is where they get shot, and, da, 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 and so forth. And he was taking me over this land, and we were off, off road. It was in four wheel drive. We we're going over these fields, and you know, and I was thinking, wow, this is a long way from from the from the main road, you know. But the the, the Land Rover can do this. It can go through the ditches and over, and, boom, 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 boom. and we got to a point, and he said, now this is where we 
build a release pen. And a release pen's about four foot high, and it goes right, it's a big semi, big circle, a big circle, and it has a net over it. And then you put the partridge when they're a certain age into this release pen for a few weeks. So they grow a bit bigger and they get familiar with the area and then they're released into, to, into maize, into a maize paddock, you know, field. And that's when they're all shot. And so it was right next to this. There was a lot of oak trees, a lot of oak trees in this part of the part of England. And where we build the release pen, it was right next to an oak tree, a massive oak tree. Now, you've got to imagine these oak trees are hundreds of years old, hundreds of years old. You know, they go back to, to, to medieval times, some of them, you know. And it was a massive oak tree. But I looked at this oak tree. And it had a flat top. It looked like somebody with a giant chainsaw had gone on this massive, massive oak tree. And I said, that's a weird looking oak tree. And he just said, matter of factly, just matter of factly, oh, yeah, that oak tree's haunted. And I said, um, I said, what do you mean haunted? I'd never heard of a haunted tree. I said, I said, what do you mean haunted? He said, well, supposedly during the war, uh, a bomber, a Wellington bomber with a Canadian crew were coming back from from you know a raid and they've been shot up pretty badly and all the big bomber um air bases were in the middle of england because they were the furthest away from the, the the german air the fighters the fighters couldn't get to the middle of england so all the bomber all the bomber airports were in the middle of england and we had this map we had a few these big bomber um military bases old bases so this wellington was coming back it was a big plane it's like like smaller than a lancaster but a big bomber like a, a b24 kind of thing with a, with a crew of six, six crew. And apparently they hit this tree because they, they were on, they were already, you know, they weren't flying very well. They were on fire or something. They hit this tree and literally nosedived and crashed and they were all killed right next to this tree. And that's why this tree has never, the, the top part has never grown, grown back. You know, that's, that's the story he told me. Okay. So I thought that was a pretty cool story, and, but I never thought anything of it. So it was like, six, I've been there six months now, learning to, to, to rear pheasants and partridge. And it was time for me to go and take, to go and build a release pen at the haunted tree. But I never thought about the haunted tree. It didn't even cross my mind. I didn't think, well, we were driving there, or oh, this is the haunted tree. Didn't, you know. And I had a young lad with me, a 16-year-old boy who was, who was helping. And I remember him always saying to me, he was saying to me, oh, I can ride a motorbike. I'm good on a motorbike and I can drive a car and I can shoot and I can do this. And he was 16. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's great, great, great. So we parked the, parked the Land Rover. It was a beautiful blue sky, no wind, no breeze. And I put a radio on the bonnet, on the, on the hood. I put a radio to, you know, there was music playing. I was wearing a white T-shirt, jeans, a white T-shirt, very big. And... Um, I've got this young lad and we're building the pen. So I'm inside the pen, just making sure it's all connected. So the, so the oak tree is inside the pen as well. The oak tree, or was it on the outside? Oh, I can't remember now. It was on the outside of the inside, but we're right next to the oak tree and the oak tree is massive. It's massive oak tree. And it's right above me. It's towering right above me. And I'm building this fence. So it's about four feet high. So it's just under my, my, under my chest sort of thing. And, and there's no wind. No wind, nothing. And then, he's, then the lad shouts out, tree. He shouts out tree. And there was this crashing, there was this thunderous crashing sound, like, like splitting, a massive splitting sound. And I remember I looked up and I could see half the tree was coming down on me. Half this oak tree was coming down on me. So this all sort of went on in slow motion. You know, they talk, people talk about slow motion. 
when, when, when you have a car crash or something, you know, like this happens. He shouts tree. I look up and I hear this massive, massive ripping, tearing. And I look and this tree is coming down on me. And I put my hands on my head because there's nowhere I can go. I can't get out of this. I'm in, in a pen. Uh, and I'm, I just think this is the way I'm, this is where, this is it. This is how I die. This is, I die, I die, a tree kills me. And I put my hands on my head and I crouch down. I squat down as low as I can go, as if that's going to protect you from an oak tree falling on you. At the same time, this is the spooky bit now. So I hear the crash. I hear the rip. I see the tree coming down. I hear a voice in my head right in the middle of your head, like stereo. And it says, you will be mine. Yeah. I never forget. Never forget. As, as clear in English, but very deep, very deep, sinister voice, very demonic. If you, want to talk, if you want to watch a demonic film and you hear that demonic voice, that's what I heard, this voice, this very powerful, loud voice, you will be mine. As the tree came down on me, crouched down, boom, immense pain, immense pain in my head, black Blackness, I couldn't, black everywhere, all around me. Um, a part of me wanted to go to sleep. A part of me just wanted to just go to sleep. And a part of me, stay awake, stay awake. So you're kind of fighting. One just wanted to just close your eyes and just drift away. And one's like, no, 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 stay awake, stay awake. I, I could feel all my, my head was all mushy on my head. I knew that I had, I had, a, I'd hurt, I had a wound, but I, was, I knew I was still alive. And I'm crawling out in this blackness, in this darkness, just absolute pitch black and just this thunderous sound in my head still. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm still alive, I'm still alive, I'm still alive. And I'm crawling out and I'm crawling out and eventually I crawl out into daylight. And I hear the boy going, ah, and he's making this weird noise over in the back somewhere, but he was all right. He just got a few light branches hit him, so he was fine. But my white shirt was completely red. It was complete. The, the blood was rushing down my face. You know, I mean, a head wound, you know, when it's the blood just come. So I didn't know how bad it was. I could feel it was all mushy on my head. I could feel soft, mushy tissue. And I said, blood was in my face and my shirt was red. And I said, quick, you've got to get me back to the, the, to the, the, to the house, to the landlord's house. I, and he, we, had, we had the keys. And he said, I don't know how to drive. And I'm like, fuck, excuse my language. You've been telling me you can ride a motorbike, you can drive a car, you can, you know, I, fuck, drive. Because I couldn't drive. You know, I was almost going in and out of consciousness. Um, I had a mobile phone and, I, and there was one button I could press and it would ring my wife. And I pressed it. And luckily, she was at home sunbathing. Sunbathing. She, you know, as I say, I won't say what she does, but she's in, the, in medicine. And she was off. And I said, I think I've got a bad injury and you better come and help me. I'm going to go to, to, the, to the, the, the gamekeeper's house. Anyway, we drove about five miles over rough terrain in first gear. He didn't know how to get it out of front. <laughs> and he didn't, even, he didn't even know how to put the wipers on because we had mud on the windscreen. He couldn't even, you know, we drove with mud and in first gear, five miles. And oh, anyway. My wife fixed me up. She, she saved me. She, she saved me. And she took me home. And we didn't have to go to the hospital because she can do what they do in the hospital. She, my wife's a doctor, a, a GP. She took me home. She gave me painkillers. She did all the checks, did my blood pressure, checked me, stitched my head up. 
and I lay on a bed, I lay on the couch for about a week um, and I didn't move. And I think they were all quite nervous. They were afraid I was going to sue them, you know, the, 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 the gamekeeper and the, um, the, the, the estate. But I wasn't interested in doing that. I just didn't want to go back to that job and I never did. But about a week and a half later, I said to my wife, we have to go back and look at this tree. We have to go back and look at this tree because she just thought a branch had hit me on the head, you know? I said, no, it's half the tree came on me. She said, no, no, because you'd, you'd be dead if half a tree, uh, half an oak tree fell on you, you'd be dead. I said, no, I'm telling you, it was half the tree fell on me. And um, she said, no, anyway, so we went back and we literally walked across to this, where this tree was. And it was still devastation. You could see half the tree was up and half the tree was down. And we're talking a massive oak tree and everything that the whole of the, the release pen was shattered, smashed into little tiny bits and bobs. And I told her where I was and where I was. Okay. Imagine a caterpillar, you know, when a caterpillar does this just to move. Right. So this is where I was. I was, so that's, that's the ground. Okay. So it's probably, three and a half feet off the ground and I was right in crouched in, 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 in this point not here and not here right right here is where that tree stopped on me you know if I was a foot there I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if I was a foot if I was there I wouldn't be having this conversation with you it was like it was a miracle. My wife said it's a miracle. It's a total, total miracle. She said you you have you have a, a an angel watching over you. You know you you were definitely saved. Um, so I managed to survive and walk out of it. And I think I think I was. I think my guide put me in a position where, it, and I think it was, you know, the good and the bad, the evil and the and the and the and the goodness fighting. You know, but what was that voice? Was that demonic voice? I don't know what it was. Was it a battle between good and evil? Did, again, was I supposed to survive? But I survived. And um, I walked out of it, you know? I survived. I've had a motorcycle accident. I got wiped out on a motorcycle when I was 20. It could have killed me, but I survived that. I've been in car crashes, not driving. Other people have driven, and we've had terrible wrecks, and I've walked out of that, survived that. I was jet skiing off the coast of Florida one, one time with a mate, and we were about half a mile at sea. And we were doing, uh, we were jumping the, the wake from the fishing boats going out and we were doing donuts and I just did a massive donut. And sometimes I'd wipe out, you'd fall off the jet ski, you know, and I did a donut. And I remember my mate was still coming towards me because I'm about half a mile out in the ocean. This is the Gulf of Mexico and he's coming out and I just did a big, I just did a big donut and the, and the, and the jet ski is just slowing down and out of my peripheral vision, just about six feet from me, a massive, massive fin, big, big fin broke the water. And I remember looking at that fin and it wasn't a dolphin because it didn't have a dolphin curve. Uh, it was probably a tiger shark, a big, big tiger shark, which had come up real close to me. And I remember thinking, don't fall off this frigging jet ski. Don't fall off this jet ski. And I just drove back and I was waving at him. Turn around, turn around. If I was waving at him, but, but you know, that, I, I've had, these close, close shades, you know, with things. And I've had a few things. I had a spear thrown at me when I was a kid, messing around. Um, I, I had to get rushed to hospital very, very quickly. Uh, the blood was, you know, my mate, my mate threw a spear, stuck in my neck. Um, I was shot in the head, no, pellet gun, I think it was a shot. But, you know, I've had, I've had a, few, a few motorcycle, car crashes, spear in my neck, the tree falling on me, 
that frigging shark being so close. And it was a big shark, it was a big fin. Um, you know, these are all, you look back and you think, wow, I've had a few, few close shaves. There's definitely something protecting me. And um, when I got my driver's license in New Zealand, I remember going to pick it up and the girl in the office said, you have an orb in your picture on your right shoulder. And um, I've already seen that twice in the six years I've been doing that. And I jokingly said, yeah, that's my, my, my spirit guide. He's, he's always behind me, you know. And she's like, wow, wow. So anyway, so those are, those are my experiences, Brian. Those are what's, what I've had over 60 years. I don't get to talk about it very often. And, and I've got all these experiences. And you can imagine, you do want to talk about it. You want to meet like-minded people and say, wow, what happened to you? Wow, that's amazing. And let, I'll tell you what happened to me, you know, and you share. But you can't. You can't. There's, there's nobody. There's not many people out there that want to that want to listen to what you've got to say or are interested. So this is why, you know, I, I've, I've been watching or following your podcast with Sasquatch because I find it fast. I, lo- I love it. I think it's fantastic, and I love some of the guests. Your guests are amazing, but I like the way you talk to people, and that's why I like listening to you. Um, and so it's as I say, it's kind of therapeutic to come on and and chat and and explain, you know, ex- explain and express what I've experienced and felt. You know, because um, I don't think I'm crazy. I, I've had too many experiences, you know, you, you, you know, and, 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 and if you had, as you say, if you had one experience, then you go, wow, was that for real? I don't know. You know, but when you start having numerous experiences and, and what I've had and so many different ones, I mean, the only thing I haven't experienced is a Sasquatch. Yeah. So um, that's my next thing. That's, as I say, that's my bucket list. Uh, I'll go to BC or Washington or someplace and, Go on a hike, or maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have to get you uh, together. Todd Standing has invited me up to BC, Canada, and wherever it is that he's at. So I'd love to go up and and do an expedition. I, I think he's for real. You know, I do. I I think he's telling the truth. I know you've had him on the show, and some people do criticize him and don't don't believe him. But I I think I think he's a real guy because the way. He, He's, he's passionate about it, you know. When there's passion in someone's voice, you listen to you, you can almost tell. You've had a couple of people on your show. I've got to admit this. You've had you've had one or two, and I'm not sure about. You know, I'm thinking, uh, nah, I don't believe. I'm not sure, you know. But um, Todd Standing, he's so passionate. He's so passionate, and it's either he's completely off his trolley, he's completely a nutcase, or it's for real. And I swing more towards the, the for real, you know. And I think he's the same sort of, you know, he doesn't care what people think, you know. He knows what he knows. And, you know, either you believe it or you don't believe it, you know. It's a fascinating, I love the subject. I love Sasquatch. But, um, yeah, I mean, all my experiences, I, I, it's just part of me. It's just normal. As I say, it's not paranormal. It's just normal. They just happen to me, you know. And I'm sure there's still things going on. And as I say, I... I've got this crystal and, and a friend introduced me to it and I wasn't, I didn't know anything about crystals and how to communicate, but I think I'm now com- able to communicate with my spirit guide. I, I really think I am because it gives me a yes, a definite, definite yes and a definite no. And it tells me things. And, um, and I'm always doubtful. I'm always, is this a load of bollocks? Is it my hand? Is my hand moving this? Is it my mind? They all always tell me, no, 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 no. It's like, and it's always the first thing I ask before I ask anything of the crystal of, of my guide. Is this a load of rubbish? Is this a load of tosh? You know, I, I, and, 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 it, and every time it says, no, no, no. And it tells me things. 
And they, they always come true. They're, they're things, you know, because I'm always asking about my family. I wanted to make sure my family's stable or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and that's another story. I won't waffle on about that. But there's so much, as I say, there's so much that, it, you know, on this planet, we, we cannot just imagine it's just us, you know. There's so much going on. And, you know, the more you think about it, look, I'm talking to you. You're in South Carolina. You're so far away. You're a day behind me. But you, you look like you're just here with me. Now, if we got somebody from the 1860s and stuck them here, they just wouldn't understand. They'd be poking this screen and trying to touch you. They just would not understand how this is possible. This is not possible for us to have this realistic conversation. I can see you. You can see me. And yet you're a day behind. You're, you're behind me 17 hours in another country, in another part of the world. Do you see what I'm saying? We, 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 there's so much we still don't understand. And, and then maybe in another hundred years, thousand years, we'll be doing things that will blow, blow us away, you know? But, um, yeah. My, my, so when I talk about my guide being the aliens that came here, I, I do ask the question, do you live on a planet? Yes, they do live on a planet. Do you live on a planet in our galaxy? No, we're in another galaxy. We're in another galaxy. Well, how do you get here? Do you travel through a wormhole? No. Do you travel at the speed of light? No. Does it take you a week to get here? No. Does it take you a year? No. Does it, can you get here in less than, less than an hour? Yes. Yes. You see, I can't, I can't understand how that's possible. You know, people talk about aliens living on planets and they're so far away, they'd never get here. They get here. They get here. They don't, and they don't travel at the speed of light. They have another way of, of moving. And that's when, when I see those lights disappear, you know, you often think, have they gone through a portal? Is there a portal? So just like opening the door and going into another room, it's as simple as that. Yet if we didn't know there was a door there, we wouldn't know how to get through there, you know? So there's so much that's all around us, so much. Oh, and, and, and one more thing, one more thing before I go, okay? I'm, and I'm walking on. Because uh, I, I was thinking, what, 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 do I, what do I talk about? What do I tell him? Um, we've always had lots of pets. And we, we were vegetarians. And we always believe our pets have got souls and spirits. In fact, all animals have got a soul and a spirit. And I could have this argument with a lot of people. Oh, no, no, no. Cows haven't got a spirit. Cows haven't got a soul. Pigs haven't got a soul. Animals that we eat haven't got a soul, you know. And, but they have. They have a soul. And I'll tell you why. We've had lambs. We've raised lambs. We've got chickens. And we've always had chickens. We've got three now. We normally have about four, but we've had 12 over the last seven or eight years. But we've got three. When they die, we dig a hole. We have a little prayer and we say, you know, we bury them. So we've got a cemetery. We've got an animal cemetery. We've got chickens and rabbits and guinea pigs. And, oh, my God. We've got everything buried in our garden. So one time, one of our chickens was dying. And I knew she was going to go. She, you, could, she, you could see she wasn't going to make it. And I thought, right, I put her in a box with some hay. And I put a, I put a, a, a sock under her head because her head was floppy. Her head was floppy. So I put the sock under her, under her neck to keep her head up, you know. Um, there was food, but she wasn't because she wasn't eating. It was literally going to be a few moments and then she would be dead. And I'd already dug a hole, so I was ready to, to bury her. So she's in a box. And I'm in the garage. Now, in my garage, I've got some windows, but they're very small. And there's a, there's a window going out to the outside. And um, there's not much light. So the lights weren't on. It was kind of dark in there, but I could just see what I was doing. And I had her 
she was up high on, she was resting on something and she was here. And I could see her here and I'm tying my shoelace. So she's right next to me. And um, suddenly I, there's a blue light, a blue, bright blue light shot up from the box at a 45 degree angle up throughout the garage like that. And I looked at her and she was dead. So it's what she was alive, blue flash of light, dead. And so obviously that's, I thought, uh, that's the spirit or the soul has just left the body. Um, so that's just something I'd throw out there as well. It's a great place to end, man. I believe that animals have their, their souls. We, we lost a dog earlier in the year. Well, I guess it was last year at this point. And just recently, back in December, we, we had this dog show up on the property and she's just, I won't get into it, but she, she is like the reincarnation. She's a large reincarnated Jack that we lost. I mean, so much of her personality and things that she exhibits and does and the way she's integrated into our house because he was a rescue and then she just shows up. So I firmly believe that the universe brought him back in, in Xena. And I think it's, you know, people who don't believe that they're entitled to those opinions, but I'm certainly a, a huge believer that just like us, Animals have souls, and whether it's a chicken, hundred percent, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. No, no matter what, they it all, is. they all do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much, anyway. Oliver, for coming on and sharing your stories, man. I've had a blast. Oh, I loved it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure, and I love your show, and I'll keep listening to it. So, um, yeah, you're doing some great work. Awesome, Good I stuff. appreciate it.
everyone, it's Brian. Do you like saving time? I know I certainly do. One of the ways that I save time is enjoying Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto Meals. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You can fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals in just two minutes. They have a wide variety of options for your entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And one of the best things about these delicious meals is there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And Factor meals are flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need as you choose your meals every week. And plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor truly is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head over to factormeals.com slash odyssey50 and use code odyssey50 to get 50% off. That's code odyssey50 at factormeals.com slash odyssey50 to get 50% off now.